0: Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire, and you're listening to Talking CFD with Robin Knowles. It's kind of like my show, but for CFD nerds, prepare to ignite. Hey there,
1: CFDsters. We're back with another one of the new style Insight episodes, the ones where I pester an industry expert until they come on the show and spill the beans about what CFD looks like in their world. Then we all either go kind of green with envy Or we breathe a collective sigh of relief that our CFD is not like that. Today's guest is Brian Willis from UK oil and gas consultancy, Astromar. So you can probably guess what we're
0: going to be talking about.
1: Welcome to the show, Brian.
0: Uh, Thank you very much for having me, Robin.
1: No problem at all. So what does your journey to doing oil and gas related CFD in the middle of England look like?
0: Well, started with a background in applied mathematics focusing on fluid dynamics Little did I know that back then it was going to be very much biologically involved and fluid related, which eventually led on to masters and PhD work um, in bioreactor design, and eventually after one of the open firm conferences in the UK, I uh, started looking f- for jobs this side of the pond and all the way from South Africa. And stumbled upon a really nice opportunity at this company Astromar, which was involved in um, the qualification of seals for plug in abandonment in oil and gas and that has its own challenges which are related to trying to prevent fluid flow as opposed to actually looking at looking at how it flows, but naturally those two end up being quite quite similar things um, so that's how my journey from uh Academia and even undergrad, all the way through to uh, doing what I do now.
1: So I mean, that sounds like it was fairly tricky physics at all, all stages.
0: Definitely, I mean, um,
1: not the easy stuff.
0: It's quite fundamental when you when you actually start looking at uh, the work we need to do, and it's not just uh, delving into the CFD because it really works uh, develops from the physics of how seals function, um, and at the point at which we're looking at, you're looking down at the micron scale. And there's very little validation available except from quite basic fluid flow models and cracks and tiny apertures. Um, so it, it's by no means your typical CFD where we can design the system. We don't often really know what the underlying surfaces appear like. There's lots of uncertainty and so on. And it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's really going back to the basics of uh, our fluid flow models and applying quite, uh, uh, i mean in general they'd be considered simple simulations um but in the same right it's uh it's very much trying to understand the physics which uh which defines the system
1: there's something to be said for having a sort of outside perspective on these things as well when, yeah. you, when you come into any industry now i mentioned in a previous one of these shows that based on my linkedin feed cfd and this was for a cfd in the built environment and that Based on my LinkedIn feed, that's all about pedestrian comfort simulation. But it turns out that's not the case. Now, using that same benchmark, CFD and oil and gas is all about valve design, right?
0: That's what people would have you think. Um, It's, I mean, I I did the cautious thing before this interview and and, and looked at what general players are doing out in the market. And you type in CFD and oil and gas and all you end up seeing is uh, the... Fluid flow of air around uh, platforms for offshore design, uh, offshore platform design, looking at how gases may disperse in it, and really about safety on on the platforms. And then yes, um, it'll very much be about about uh, flow assurance within the actual uh, um, oil and gas pipeworks and valves and so on to make certain they operate how we expect them to. Um, But it's it it's quite diverse and. Very different modeling techniques. Based on the one is a multi-phase approach for sure, and the other is uh, looking at the large movement of air across the platform.
1: That's kind of a, a broad spectrum. Yeah. Is there a lot? Is there a lot of CFD going on? We just perhaps don't see too much about it.
0: Yeah, I mean it's lots of industrial CFD. It ends up being only when it's presented at conferences. It's done. The presentations are done rather crudely, as opposed to. Delving down into the nitty gritty of the simulation, the kind of turbulence models or the discretization of the system, um, and what no one really refers to what meshes they use even. So it, it, it's done in a very different manner to other industries where CFD is one of the typical tools. Uh, it, it it's used extensively that, that being said, um, and particularly for the safety reasons of it. It's, uh, I mean, we, we could take, take you down from the top side which is the platform all the way down into the well how it's been used um, and often it just goes by a different name originally lots of the reservoir simulations which is darcy flow through permeable media which is your reservoir rocks that is uh, multi-phase darcy simulations to try predict what kind of production we can get from a certain reservoir um, and will include if we inject other gases or water to increase the pressure in the reservoir Uh, how can we improve our production from it Um, so it's used significantly very much to understand when failures can occur um, of valves erosion when sand is is contained in the flow stream Um, it's it's varied and i can probably say as many examples as as we need
1: what do you typically get most involved in what are you you looking at day to day
0: for the work we're doing in particularly, uh, I'll have to give a bit of context of it. Um,
1: Perfect. I should have asked for some.
0: Yeah. They, and this might not be an industry which everyone understands how it functions and the specifics of it. But we particularly involved in a aspect called plug-in and abandonment. And what that means is at the end of the life of a oil or gas well, it has to be abandoned in such a manner that it will not leak to the environment and cause damage to the environment or people which are involved in the process. Um, typically how this has been done previously for the last hundred years or so is to dump a absolute ton of cement down the hole and hope that it forms a good plug. That being said, most people accept that cement isn't a perfect, uh, impermeable barrier. And with some project partners that we're working with, they're developing new technologies, which is the casting of metal alloys underwater at pressure and at the depth. Um, hoping that that forms a good seal and this is the qualification of those metal alloys so fundamentally we're looking at how can we characterize how good a seal is at preventing fluid from flowing and that's very much dependent on the physics of how seals function. So we're looking at how best do we represent a system of plugs which are in an oil well um, and the best ways to capture that and what we've found is that it's very challenging to actually use CFD in its current form as, as how we think about it, where we just uh, simulate the whole system um, to actually do this job. And that's the nature of scales of the actual system we're looking at.
1: For somebody who's kind of not familiar with it, as a mate, <laughs> how big physically are these plugs that we're you are created down there?
0: I mean we'll just give some order of, uh, of magnitude estimates, but yeah. your well is not is going to be about half a meter in uh, diameter. Then in depth, you're looking at a few kilometers typically, um, but anywhere from 1,500 meters to a few thousand meters. Um, and then the interfaces at which we are considering, which is the seal interface, you're looking down at the micron level. Accounting for all the other kind of components in a, in a well, which is your casing and cement, those will be on the order of, a few centimetres in uh, width and diameter. Um, and so the scales range from a few kilometres down into a few micron, which makes the challenge of actually trying to capture this whole system not completely doable in a CFD environment, except for looking at specific aspects which you'd want to look at.
1: I think you've already said the key word, but I'm going to ask a stupid question. Yeah. Um, what, what makes it difficult? What, what is, what's the trick?
0: Scale. Uh-huh. Yeah. There, there and there's no real there's no real way way around this um it's It's going to be impossible to simulate a realistic plug, which is a hundred meters in length when your actual zone of interest where you want to simulate is only a few micron wide um, and so when we when we're trying to characterize experimental data, which we're developing. Um, to, to validate our models, it's, it's very much looking at quite basic uh, flow rate approximations across such barriers and looking at how the physics will actually affect the, the seals which are, which are created and the kind of physics in place which, which make a good seal is how well does a material fit against another one which is called conformation, and another is the pressure which is imposed, how tightly can you squeeze them together and good understanding of those and how that affects your your seal quality is what is more important than actually trying to capture a real detailed description of the fluid flow. That being said, there are quite nice techniques to capture how seals function, and they're not your typical CFD technique, but it's very much a a pore network model Um, where you look at how fluid could potentially flow through a network of pores which are connected through throats, and it's it's a Darcy approximation applied to an, a network model of a seal as opposed to actually simulating a seal itself.
1: Just in case anybody's not quite following, we're deep underwater here as well, aren't we?
0: <laughs> yeah, this is this is below the ocean floor typically because most of the work which we do is o- offshore and then it's a few thousand meters underneath the, uh, the mud line or the bottom of the ocean. Um, so you're looking at... Pressures of hundred megapascals and temperatures of one hundred and fifty degrees, quite quite easily. Um, therefore, I mean, the the kind of fluids we deal with are inherently not Newtonian either. Um, very often, multi-phase, and because
1: because then it would be easy.
0: <laughs> exactly, and and you're definitely looking at gas, oil, and water mixtures, um, which are held under pressure. So you you have to model everything to capture it accurately.
1: That brings me on to a related question is sort of how well do you know what's actually down there?
0: We don't know it that well. The current logging and monitoring techniques are at at best, I mean, I, I, I've heard terms and, and the actual logging I'm referring to is um, what's called um, acoustic log, logging of the cement behind the casing. And to give a little bit of a description so everyone understands it slightly better, when a well is constructed, They, of course, drill a hole into the ground. They place a metal casing, which is a vertical pipe, down into the ground, and they pump cement around it to keep it in place. And the cement is there to create a hydraulic barrier against the migration of fluids. There are attempts to try and monitor the condition of that cement, and your seal is a good seal if that cement is still bonded to the casing and the rock which it's placed against. And there are attempts to monitor how good that is over time. And they use acoustic techniques like um, where they put ultrasonics downhole and they measure the response. Um, But of course, with techniques like that, you're never directly measuring how good the bond is. It's only a very indirect method. And it is highly dependent on the user who's actually monitoring itself and making the analysis. So there is uncertainty from the measurements we get Um, there are scenarios where a cementer who's pumped down thousands of gallons of cement. So he, he, he knows there is cement behind the casing, but they'll log it and it'll appear that there's nothing there. That's how uncertain it can be at times. And the other problem is that many of these wells are 30, 40 years old. So they will have degraded over time. Um, nothing will remain constant. Stresses are imposed on it, much like fatigue of systems, um, So massive uncertainty, and it's why inherently the kind of world we're working in, um, downhole, isn't one which is best captured often by CFD, but other more uh, probabilistic methods which incorporate some sort of Monte Carlo approach, often better at dealing with such uncertainties.
1: In that built environment episode, we were talking about, or we mentioned that even if you built the same building in another place, it becomes essentially a, a bespoke simulation. Um, I'm guessing virtually everything you look at is bespoke, even if it's the same, even if it's the same type of well or the same style or whatever, and it, but it's been down there for a different amount of time or, or whatever, it becomes a bespoke problem. Is that right?
0: That's pretty much what we've found with, with all our cases. Yes, the underlying physics might be equivalent, so you can apply the same uh, actual physical models and CFD techniques, but nearly everything will require its own, uh, at least, design, um, particularly if we're looking at the, the CAD design. What happens when while well construction occurs, they're also only using data which they have available before and which is seismic data to best understand what they expect they use the nearby wells to try and understand when they might get quite big pressure kicks from reservoirs, which which are downhole. And they'll have to make on-site decisions about what is the best way to actually design, uh, the, the complete the well. And that will make every well different. Given that it's 30 years old, it's, it's going to go, go through repairs and maintenance, which will change every, every design. And therefore, it will have its own u- unique approach to it um, this is particularly more when you're looking at actually designing tools to be used in the well. But when you're designing the tool, it will often need to have some sort of analysis, whether that be FEM or CFD analysis, to understand how well it will work in that situation.
1: In, in a lot of these circumstances, in a lot of these different sectors, it kind of pays to understand what the alternative is. If, if you weren't doing this, or in the older days, if you like, well, maybe not so much older days. What were people doing before they were doing this?
0: They attempt to do onshore lab-based tests uh, okay. at large scales to try ascertain how it will function. But inherently, to try find hyperbaric test chambers, which are large enough to even simulate the kind of pressures and temperatures where which one would experience downhole, is, of course, inherently difficult. Um, and, and therefore, to try to do anything which is actually representative is, is, is challenging at best. Um, so, CFD for that reason plays a significant role in trying to understand how a process may work um, at downhaul conditions, and bearing in mind the cost of actually trying to trial something offshore okay. is absolutely massive. Um, you're talking in half a million pounds a day just for the rig time. It, it it becomes an essential tool to to aid in the design of the process and the technology itself. Um, but that being said. Nearly everything which gets designed in CFD has some sort of onshore lab-based testing, even at full scale, to understand at least will it function and part how we expect it to. And that uh, will be quite often um, fluid flow testing um, in glass containers and so on, so you can at least monitor what, what will actually be occurring.
1: So to go back round to it, then, what what does a sort of typical simulations look like? The scales that you were talking about suggest that we're not we're not looking at meshing and FEM type approach.
0: I won't discuss too much of our approach because it's not as interesting in terms of the CFD world. But we can discuss one um, which is quite interesting and used downhole and part and parcel of um, of uh, plug in and abandonment as well. And there's a pretty newish technique which is involved in this tree, which is called Perf Wash and Cement. And what it, or what it means is that they use a gun downhole to damage a casing which allows them to access the cement behind the casing. They use high-pressure jets to wash out the damaged cement behind the casing and then they place cement through those holes um, to repair the cement which was previously there so this involves quite a few fluid dynamic simulations starting from the washing out of the cement behind the casing which uh, <laughs> i've seen some interesting results from that to the actual placing of the cement itself behind the casing at downhole conditions
1: Are you having to recover that initial cement as well
0: you 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 do so you have to remove it out of out of the place where it is because otherwise you'll have little chance of guarantee guaranteeing that you're going to have a hydraulic seal behind the cement. So one can only imagine that at this point in time that you then start to look at on your basic level what's your sort of Stokes equation for cement particles and that you have to return those cement particles from 4,000 meters deep to the surface of the platform and uh, and get them from downhole. Um, <laughs> a challenge in its own. And then you have to make certain it's all washed away and be able to place new cement, which means displacing whatever fluid is currently there, which is some sort of water or oil-based mud. And you have to then try guarantee that that's going to form a good seal as well.
1: Just listening to you sort of layering complexity on complexity, it's making me smile, but it's also making me think, this is going to be one of those episodes where I'm going to think, oh, I'm glad I don't do that. Um, But I mean... so it's challenge upon challenge upon challenge. Do you approach sort of each one of those separately and try and layer up a model or do you end up having to solve everything at once?
0: No, typically they'd be solved separately as, I mean inherently in terms of how the work is done, it's a it's a separate process for, for each of those jobs and it, it'll be best to understand each one individually. Um, and, They will require different techniques and different actual simulation approaches. Um, because the kind of particles which are involved, they're very irregular, um, and relatively dense as well. You, it's, it's best to, of course, treat it with not just typical, uh, uh, particle tracking kind of techniques to determine if you're going to wash it out. And then placing of cement will use uh, multi-phase simulations to see how the cement will be able to displace the uh, um, water which is present downhole behind an annulus. So you you really much compartmentalize each uh, process and understand how each one would be done differently.
1: The way you were describing it, it sounds like there's sort of one of two outcomes whether you are in a position to prove that something's going to actually do what it's supposed to do but then also you're also potentially in a position to advise on how to do that better is the latter case the one where the kind of the bigger value add is because you're taking time off site and, and that sort of thing
0: yeah that's it's definitely the latter if, if there's better understanding of how the process is going to function Um, when you're actually going to be doing it uh, in reality, it will save a lot of time to at least understand the bounds of where we expect this to function. And that could be something as simple as knowing what flow rates are required and how much washing time is required to do the job. And if that can be planned into a schedule as opposed to it being an uncertainty when you're running an actual job, um, that kind of information is essential.
1: I'm guessing that as with everything else involved in this sector... The numbers are big, so I'm assuming that time equals quite a lot of money.
0: Very much so, and I mean that—that's for for the work which which we do in oil and gas, um, particularly focused around plug-in and abandonment. To try to save half a day to a day's worth of time is is highly significant for the operator, particularly when it may span a field which has twenty to thirty wells which need to be abandoned. Um, there's there's quite a significant challenge awaiting the oil and gas industry in the North Sea, um, in plug in plug-in and abandonment and small gains in, in, in technology and baby be, in being able to place plugs more effectively um will relate to quite large gains overall. Um and this has been driven not only by the operators but from the regulators um and inherently then the government and themselves.
1: I almost I hesitate to ask this question because it's it's one that I've been wanting to ask in all of these style of interviews, but based on what you've told me about how difficult some of this is, what is currently not feasible? What what can't you do that you'd like to be able to do?
0: Uh, I'm I'm guessing you, you you probably know the answer already, but it, it's it's gonna be looking at full scale simulation. So how does one really link up your reservoir models which are on the order of um, hundreds of meters to kilometers in dimensions, but only say 70 meters in height, linking that to our well model, linking that to our plug, indi- our individual plug models, and then linking that to how, if there is a leak, um, how that leak could be and polluted, pollutant could be dispersed in the ocean and the environment. Um, so you're looking at a complex large scale model which ranges from kilometers down into our um, micron size and then dispersion models for when a leak eventually occurs it, it would be wonderful to try to try capture all of those together but at this point in time we, we know that kind of approach isn't currently possible
1: would that be a kind of co-simulation technique as in they, they'd remain independent models that kind of talk to each other in a sort of um, maybe an aeroelastic type type way
0: yeah and, and and that's exactly the the way that we, we currently treat it because we we want to, of course, know that the outputs of one actually do affect the inputs of another model. So they do need to be run in a concurrent kind of fashion. Um, but they also need to be scaled to their own systems um, such that at least the approximate run times are hopefully quite similar from the reservoir models to well and plug models, um, and that one, one isn't. Uh, Overly delayed by, from by the other.
1: When I ask people what they want, quite often the answer is more compute power or some new magical technique or something like that. It, would more compute power help in these cases, or maybe not really?
0: I don't think it would actually help with 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 where we'd want to go with our plug models in particular. Um, there's just such great uncertainty in the in the underlying uh, inputs that we personally don't see much need to render our plug models in a way that we are uh, actually modeling how fluid may flow through a plug on and how it interacts with various uh, asperities and roughness in the system. So we, we don't ever see that being the need for this, but what we do need and what our goal is to try and reduce the uncertainty we have in our underlying inputs. Um, and roughly that really is going to be coming from Experimental testing and better understanding of the real physics, which, uh, which, which, which underlies how seals function and improve our monitoring of walls themselves. So when we run simulations and we observe a certain leak into the environment, for example, we can try assess that and compare it to what's been actually observed in, in the real environment. And if that's not been observed in the real environment, then we can actually go back and adjust our models so that we represent the real situation better. Um, uh, I, I guess it's it, it's quite an important point to add at this point that once a well has been abandoned there's very little monitoring which is required and therefore the kind of data we have to actually look at how well our system is actually sealed and compared to our simulation data is it, it's it's minimal at best.
1: Do they ever get reopened or oh, I suppose maybe they're <sighs> capped for what, good are they?
0: What what currently happens um, in, in general when it gets abandoned and if you refer to it as permanently abandoned, they go as far as actually removing the well head, which means for all intents purposes, it's not possible to re-enter the well unless you're looking at costs of 100 million. Um, so it, it, it's really not in anyone's interest to try and re-enter a well if it can be avoided. That's why so much effort is put into designing solutions, which, which we are confident that uh, suggests that it won't actually leak. That being said, many wells have been put in a state which is called temporarily abandoned and that allows for monitoring techniques to actually be introduced into it and that's placing pressure sensors underneath the plug and noticing whether there's a build-up in pressure over time or a decrease in pressure and that can of course be inferred as a, a leak occurring which may not be to the environment, it could be to other reservoirs at different uh, depths so it's not always bad. Um it's just we we would like more data.
1: More data the better.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Have you seen anything kind of on the horizon that um that you think could have a big impact in, in what you're doing?
0: Uh not so much in what we're doing, but there there there's been a definite shift in the industry towards uh trying to deal with the data they have. Um and and one of the big ones which we've seen come in is this whole concept of digital twins. Um, and also using artificial intelligence to analyze um, imagery data and other sensory data which is available. And digital twins are a digital representation of a full offshore system, and that can be from the platforms down to all the assets which are on the actual sea floor. Um, And the moment those start getting coupled towards uh, with the actual monitored data, they can run... Concurrent models to understand what kind of flows are expected through the system, um, hopefully at real time, and understand best how the system in its whole in terms of all the pressures at every uh, part of the system and the fluid compositions and so on and so forth will, will actually be treated with.
1: It's an actual, real digital twin. I hear a lot about them. I've still yet to see one in real. It's like the like Loch Ness monster.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it. it, it uh, I find them. I find some of them uh, quite quite interesting um, when they put them together. And I mean, it it is, of course starts off as a very glorified CAD model, but as they start including sensory data onto it, so that people can interact with the digital twin in a way that they could if they were. Um, offshore themselves, it, it, it could become quite useful. Currently, it's very much used for training um, so that people can become familiar with the environment. But the amount of work which is currently being put towards uh, trying to develop AI techniques to analyze sensor data um, so that they can relate it to events which are occurring is very significant. Um, lots of that sensor data is going to be related to um, pressures, the time it takes for uh, certain operations to to happen, and the fluid compositions from multiphase uh, flow meters. Um, and as that data starts getting interpreted more, um, no doubt there will be modelling which which can uh, which can use that data as well to determine are we representing the systems and our models correctly and make future predictions.
1: So I think I am firmly going to file this one under the few. Thankfully, I only have to do racing cars. They are super simple compared to what you guys are doing. However, whilst filed in that area, it is no doubt a fascinating area of, uh, of of CFD, even if quite often it's not called CFD. Um, no. So uh, I want to thank you for taking the time to, uh, to come on the show, Brian, and tell us all about it, uh, because it's certainly not something I've been exposed to. And uh, as I said, fascinating
0: it's only my pleasure robin thanks for having me on the show
1: so if people have been listening to this and they want to find out more about either what you do what astromar do or just chat about this sort of stuff in general i'm guessing you'd be fairly open to that
0: that's definitely true um
1: where's a good spot for people to find you
0: they can pop over to our website which is astromar.com and or they can contact me at brian.willis at astromar.com if they want to get hold of me I'm also available on LinkedIn, and yeah, e- any of those is a good is a good source.
1: Perfect. Links in the show notes for all those who are interested, and thank you very much yet again, Brian.
0: Thank you very much, Robin.